Don't know if that was a woe or a boo. I couldn't, couldn't quite figure it out. Um, hey, everybody. Welcome uh, to the second meeting of Context. Um, this week, we have um, a, a really awesome event planned, um, I hope. Um, but um, just thank you, thank you all for coming. Last week, we had a great um, introduction to How to Study Scripture in Context by James Michael. Um, and we touched on some of the context questions and revelations. It was really awesome. Yeah. Um, and then on the 27th, we're actually going to have a, um, a question and answer uh, with James Michael, um, which is going to be really cool. Uh, but this week, we have a panel discussion um, with uh, four great leaders in this church. Um, we have uh, Pastor Talbot Davis and... Our uh, pastor of congregational care, Rich Tuttle. Our, uh, our pastor of missions and outreach, Ron Dozier. And then our, our formal uh, discipleship pastor, uh, James Michael Smith. Um, but anyway, this week... <laughs> <laughs> Who are you? I, I, sorry. And I'm the discipleship intern, Chris Thayer. Nice to meet you all. Woo! Um, but this week, what we're going to be doing is a panel discussion on uh, two or three topics, depending on our time, uh, since we're running a little bit late. But we're going to be talking about the prosperity gospel, uh, faith um, and healing, as well as uh, outreach and missions. Um, and uh, you all notice that if, if you sat closer to the front, if you're in the back, you might not have one, um, but there are some floating around. Uh, on your seat, you'll see a three by five note card, or some of them are a little bit bigger, but um, we're, during the last half hour, we're actually going to have questions that you guys ask, and we'll get to ask them to the panel. Um, so if you could, just if you have any questions during the time that we're talking, feel free to fill them out. And then we'll take a five-minute break at which you can put them in the baskets, and then I'll take them up and we'll ask it to the panel. Um, but before we get started, let me, let me go ahead and pray for real quick. Father, thank you so much uh, for the opportunity to get together uh, and to understand how to study your word. Um, Father, we just pray that you would um, let your spirit be in this place, Lord, that we would learn um, that everything that um, comes out of our mouths and the mouths of the panel um, would be glorifying and edifying to you, um, and that we would really see um, why studying in scri Scripture in context really matters. Um, all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. So the first one we're going to be on is the prosperity gospel. But before we get started with the next slide, could you guys please define what, what is the prosperity gospel? <laughs> What's the take this one? <laughs> I would say it's the teaching that um, if you give, if you sow your seed into my ministry, whoever the person talking about it is, then you will get rich. Okay. The greater the seed, the greater the wealth that will return to you. Okay. And if you're not rich, it's because you're not faithful enough or giving enough to that particular ministry. So it's your fault. And I would just add to that that it's the belief that it is your covenantal right through Abraham to be blessed and be prosperous. Yeah. So if you name it and claim it, then you'll receive it. It's a lot of speaking things into existence and calling forth wealth. 
in the name of Jesus, things like that that you see. Great. Thank you very much. Um, I have a quote up here um, by one of the major proponents of the prosperity gospel, and I'll read it real quick. Seize the opportunity now. Sow a seed gift today, releasing it as an act of faith, knowing that the size of, your, of the gift determines the size of your harvest. We know that this isn't just a matter of sending an offering, but it is an act of faith to release the anointing for prosperity to flow over you, and only the anointing can deliver you from debt and poverty. Um, there are also a few verses that go along with that. Um, some of the main verses that are used I have up here, and I'll read a few of them. Second uh, Corinthians 9, 6. Uh, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Uh, Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Um, Joshua 1, 8. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful and do everything written in it. Then, all, then you will be prosperous and successful. I'll go ahead and skip down to 3 John 2. Uh, Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is going along well. Um, some translations actually read in that you will prosper in every way. Uh, then there's also Galatians 3, 13 through 14, uh, taken with Deuteronomy 28, which kind of touches on what Ron was saying. Uh, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing giving to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. And then in Deuteronomy 28, kind of going along with that, is that if you fully obey the Lord, your God, and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above the nations of the earth. All these blessings will come upon you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You will be blessed in the city and, and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed and the crops of your land and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herd, and the lambs of your flocks. Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. Um, and then it goes on to kind of say the same sort of a thing over and over again. Um, what do you guys think about some of these verses that are used as uh, proof texts for the prosperity gospel? And feel free to take them in any order and, and just kind of what's the context of them? Well, I, I think like with, with any, the, the reason that this whole subject matters is because uh, people can, can get a certain teaching that, that emphasizes one end of, of uh, what the Bible's saying to the exclusion of everything else. Like every, almost every dangerous teaching that's come about in the history of the church is an exaggeration of a, of a kernel of truth that's already there. And, and so you, you can't say, of course, biblically speaking, that um, God doesn't encourage us to, to give and that blessings don't flow when we give. But the danger comes when either that's the, the sole content of the message or verses are taken and, and applied to financial prosperity that in their original setting had very little to do with financial prosperity at all. The, the blessing of Abraham, for example, the seed of Abraham, has very little to do with, with sort of a financial plenty. And, and uh, the Jews throughout history, especially the Old Testament, their blessing, the, the, the being, being the chosen people, did not guarantee them wealth. In fact, it, it usually guaranteed them trouble. Yeah, and one of the interesting things, especially about Abraham, is when you read Genesis, when he died, he owned a grave that his wife was buried in, and that was it. 
um, all of his, his possessions passed on to his kids, but there, there's, no, there's very, very little emphasis, even in Genesis, placed on the, the wealth of Abraham as it's more placed on the promise of future blessings that he would receive, and the New Testament uh, fills that out and, and fulfills it. The, the Old Testament passages, especially as an Old Testament guy, it, they, it bugs me because a lot of times people, they don't look at the context that those passages were given in, especially anything in the, um, the, like the Joshua passage, for instance. It says, you know, if you do all the things in the book of this law, you know, how many prosperity preachers really practice all of the things in Leviticus and Deuteronomy? You know, I don't see many of them, you know, growing their sideburns out and not shaving their beard and, and wearing all the, I mean, this has got some polyester blend suits that many of them wear. And Deuteronomy says, or Exodus says, don't wear types of garments of mixed thread. So Staff manual here says don't wear polyester. That's a good, that's a needed, needed rule. <laughs> So it's, it's one of those that, that you, you, you run a danger of picking and choosing, especially when you deal with the Old Testament. You don't take into account what we looked at last week, which is that development between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant and how the promises don't just transfer one-to-one. And a lot of it was based on, in fact, all of the blessings in the Old Testament that are given in the first five books especially specifically say, if you keep my commandments, and then immediately Israel does not keep those commandments, and that's why those are never realized. A couple of things, too, um, especially on the Deuteronomy and Joshua texts, is that those promises were to the nation. They weren't to individuals, and so many prosperity gospel preachers will take these and apply them to the individual, but as this community, um, there was a, a, a real sense of covenant as well. They had, God had made a covenant with them. They had made a covenant with God. And that's kind of the context that this is in as well. And, and a covenant is kind of an if-then thing. And sort of uh, the people collectively were called to obey this covenant. And a lot of prosperity preachers don't even talk about that covenant. Because now under, under the covenant of grace, uh, we don't have that if-then or cause and effect type of relationship. Uh, anymore. It's, it's the free gift of grace. And the, go ahead, Ron. I was just going to say that um, also the prosperity gospel is very short-sighted because it almost distracts the believer to pursue something that the Bible clearly teaches um, is a trivial pursuit. It talks about in 1 Timothy chapter 6, um, about the love of money or the, or the pursuit of money. Uh, I'll just read it here. It says, if anyone teaches false doctrines, does not agree to sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, he is conceited and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy interest in controversies, quarrels about words that result in, in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil, suspicions, and constant friction between men of corrupt mind who have, rob, who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. But godliness, That's in the Bible? Yes. God. It says, it says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and the trap and to many foolish and harmful desires 
that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And what people don't talk about is some of the people, uh, the proponents of the prosperity theology or gospel, all you have to do is just kind of live out their experiences and what some of them are dealing with or going through right now. Having pursued all of these things and listening to some of the testimonies now of, having, of how family has been shipwrecked, other people's lives has been shipwrecked because they've held up riches as the goal and not necessarily the cultivation or development of their relationship with Christ, which brings a sense of contentment with what God has provided for us. Yeah, well, you can drive five miles down the road and see an entire monument to uh, this teaching that's now sitting in ruins. Uh, parts of it sold off for all kinds of things. With um, Chris had mentioned in an email about back when the Jim Baker scandal happened, and, and if you read his biography after he was released from prison, they wrote it, it was called I Was Wrong, and I thought that was just a fantastic title. And he goes through and talks about how, yep, that was pretty much all of it was wrong. Uh, and it's a shame that it took going to prison and, you know, the financial ruin of so many people and, and, and what the damage it did to the church to realize that, but, but that's absolutely the right lesson from that. How do, we, um, how do we hold in contention then this idea of the old covenant where it seems like, you know, if you guys continue to obey, you will be blessed. Um, if you don't, obviously, which they didn't, and, and you saw what happened to Israel. How do we hold that in contention with the new covenant now? Are there any um, similarities? Is it removed? What, what, is, what is kind of the, the relationship of that? I, I think, um, and, and, and Methodist people are, are hesitant to use words like elect, and, and chosen, because that sounds sort of predestinarian, which is what our, uh, historically what our Presbyterian friends teach, rather than th that we believe in free will. But when you understand that the elect is uh, not elect or chosen for privilege, but elect for service. And uh, so the, the Jews, again, they are blessed, not so that they might harvest blessings, but that so they might then bless the nations. And in, in terms of the continuity, when Paul speaks of the elect in either the book of Ephesians or the book of Romans, and we immediately think, oh, he's speaking of the elect individuals. He's speaking of the, that person and that person and not that person, but that person and that person and not that person. And we think individualistically like that because we're 21st century Americans or Westerners. And, and we've talked a lot about this in 2010, that the Bible's not written with that mindset. The Bible thinks collectively in terms of groups. So when Paul speaks of the elect, he's speaking of the people of God. And again, being elect is, is really, um, it's no great shakes because you're elected to serve or you're elected to suffer or you're, you're elected to die. And so I think there's a great continuity between the old covenant and the new co covenant and to the extent that the, the church is the new elect of God, Ephesians chapter 2, to the extent that that's, that's us. We are not elected to... For, to be triumphant, to, to lord it over people. But what does Jesus say? The greatest among you will be servant of all. I think another good connection is that 2 Corinthians 9 passage. If you read the entire pericope, or pericope is just several uh, scriptures when taken together form one unit. 
and in Second Corinthians. Uh, that was a great seminary word, Rich. Thank you. Pericope. It's spelled P-E-R-I-C-O-P-E. Use it at work tomorrow. You'll yeah. be that's, that's famous. That's all I got, people. That's all I got. No. <laughs> Last week, you learned hermeneutics. This week, pericope. Pericope, yes. <laughs> Go ahead, sorry. Okay, Ron, we've got to think of something. Okay. Um, so, yeah, in, in that passage in 2 Corinthians 9, uh, in verse 9, it uh, the one Chris gave you was six, and that's where it starts. But in verse nine, it says, "As it is written," and and anytime you see that in Scripture, it's referring back to some portion of the Old Testament, Older Testament, just for you, Talbot. Old big pericope. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it says, "He has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever." It's talking about the righteous man who lives this out. And twice in the verse before that, that's being quoted, it talks about um, this righteous man not having any fear of giving and, and um, this notion of, of security. And so there's a connection between what Paul's saying and that Psalm 112, that what he's talking about, what Paul is saying here is give freely, give generously, not so you can be rich, but as a sign of trust to God and so that you can be generous to, to others and as a, as a way to worship God. I mean, if you, if you read this section, it's all in there and it's all... It comes from Psalm 112. So there's a connection there between the old and new. Is there a, um, is there a one-to-one correlation that if we, if we give that we, will always, um, that we will always have everything we need? Some of the things that I think about are some of the early Christians in the church um, who we are, I would assume, were giving, yet they were put to death um, for their faith. So how do we hold... Kind of this idea that you will have everything you need, um, and then also that you know, obviously at times these people didn't. How do we kind of put those two together? How do we hold that in contention? Well, I think that it, even in the Old Testament, even in the Hebrew Bible, where there was the teaching that if you obey me, I will bless you; if you disobey me, I will remove my blessings from you. Even within that, like Talbot mentioned in the message this morning, there's this tension that that the Jewish people lived with for centuries. And you see it in the prophets, when, when God would send the prophets to Israel, there was always part of Israel was righteous, the remnant, and then the greater part of Israel was the wicked, and God would send the prophets to speak to the wicked, but the righteous would kind of be in the position of, well, why are we suffering, why, why all this bad? And the wicked sometimes would, would be saying, wait a minute, no, we're, we're giving, we're doing all the right things, we're going through the motions, in, in times in Israel's history, they would they would give, they would have all these feasts, all these festivals, they would do lavish sacrifices, but that wasn't the problem. The problem was that they would also do those things for the other gods as well, and that's what God had called them to above anything. The first commandment was, was put me first. Micah, one of my favorite sections in Micah is chapter 6, and you, you hear this, the people, Micah's bring a lawsuit on God's behalf against the people. It's set up using kind of courtroom legal language. And the witnesses, the heavens and the earth and the mountains and, and all of creation is being called to witness against God's Did you know people. that? And uh, know that. it's amazing. It's Old Testament. There's crazy stuff in here. And what you see is the people say in Micah chapter 6, um, the peop- Micah's, Micah is sarcastically, or God through Micah, sarcastically voicing the people's um, complaints against God. And he says, Chapter 6, verse 6 of Micah, it says, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings or with calves a year old? 
Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? In other words, he's voicing the, the people are saying, what do you want, Lord? Do you, do, you, do you want us to bring more offerings? Do you want us to bring thousands of, of rams or you know, 10,000? How about rivers of oil? Now, in our day, a river of oil, especially right now with the Gulf, that's not a good thing at all. <laughs> but in this time, oil, olive oil, anointing oil, extremely expensive stuff. And he's like, God, I'll, how about a whole rivers of oil? What do you want, Lord? What will get you to get off our back, bless us like we want to be blessed, give us this prosperity, and not uh, enable us to have to deal with things like famine and war and all of that? That's what they're asking. You know, they're saying, if we give you're supposed to return it back, right? And God says, famous verse, probably the only verse a lot of people know from Micah, it says, he has showed you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And so even in the Old Covenant, even in the First Testament, it's not about uh, you do this and God will do that. Even in the Old Testament, it's God wants their heart. He wants their inner being. All of the other things, the temporary things, are added if they draw people too closer to God. And the whole point of blessing Israel from an Old Covenant perspective, the whole point was to fulfill the promise that God made to Abram in Genesis 12 that by seeing Israel's relationship with God and how of all the gods in the ancient world, the God of Israel was the only one who was literally holding his people in the palm of his hand, protecting them from famine, from warfare, blessing their crops, blessing their families, everything that the nations would see that and would realize, oh, he is the one true God, and they would abandon all of the man-made gods and turn to him. He would bring creation back to himself. He would, like, again, in the message this morning, he would seek and save those who were lost. That's Old Testament, not even New Testament. And so that was the purpose, even in the Old Testament, of those material wealth was so that people would come to know the one true God. Do you guys think, then, that um, it's possible that we... We flirt with danger then any time that we talk about material wealth related to giving, or is it how, how should we how should we approach the issue, or, or what's a, what's a good balanced view if you were to kind of sum it all up? I think it's it's being in harmony with God's design for our life, and I, I liken it a lot to like paddling in a river, and you're, if you're if you're generous with God. And that's God's heart and um, tithing or however the math works out. Uh, you're, you're in that flow, then you do experience kind of the, the serenity, the peace of God. And if you're withholding, if, you're, if your spirit says, no, it's all mine, and I can do with it what I want when it's God's to begin with, you're paddling upstream. And so uh, you're just sort of out of alignment or out of the blessings. As far as, a, as a, I think it's so much broader than just the financial benefits that we will reap. I, 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 I think this is true, and you probably know this as well. The, the unhappiest people you know tend to be the greediest people as well. I think there's, there's just something in that, that greedy spirit that breeds unhappiness and bitterness. And by the same token, the people who are the most settled and filled with the most joy hold on the most loosely to what they have. I think there's a, uh, also there's a correlation as it relates to the fact that we alluded to before that God doesn't just call us as individuals, but he calls us as individuals into community. So because he's called us into community, we do have a responsibility to the community that we're a part of. Hmm. 
And when God, um, he gave Adam responsibility, you know, he told him to. How'd that work out? Yeah, that's true. He disobeyed him, but he still gave him responsibility. Um, and I think that he gives us responsibility also in that because we have freely received the grace of God in all sorts of expressions, he's a God of provision. He provides for us. He provides for our households. He pours that in. We have a responsibility, not as owners, but I think he's called us to be stewards over that which he has supplied. So because we're not, we don't have ownership, we have stewardship, I think there, there is an accounting that will take place to all that God has provided for us, not just for us, but so that it can help out uh, the stranger or the poor or those that uh, also have needs. So I think we do have a responsibility to share the grace in the form of gifts that we receive for the benefit of the body of Christ. Yeah, I think, I think with, with the prosperity gospel in particular, the, there, there are multiple things wrong with it, but the dangers in it are, one is it reduces relationship with God to a formula. You give, God gives back. It's a, it's a one, you know, whether they say a hundredfold or sixtyfold, or anytime you start reducing the relationship with the almighty creator of all that exists into a, basically a cosmic ATM, it's, it's, it, it just severs any relational aspect with God. The other thing is it promotes rampant idolatry. Uh, Colossians, flat out, Paul says that greed is idolatry. Greed is a form of idolatry. And the prosperity gospel encouraging people to seek after and to go after riches as their God-given right or, or, or their covenantal right, what that tells the people that don't have that is you need to get what the other people have and you need to do what they're doing, and it creates this competition mindset, uh, and, and it, 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 has, it has appeal because there's, there's a kernel, like Calvin said, there's a kernel of truth to it, which is God does entrust those who are trustworthy with more so that they can do more for his kingdom, not so that they can buy nicer suits or faster cars or any of those things uh, as ends in and of themselves. And so I don't, and there's definitely not a one-size-fits-all. You know, what's extravagant for somebody may be borderline poverty for others, depending on where in the world you find yourself. I mean, everybody in here, in this room, is in the top five percentile of the world as far as wealth goes. And most of us would say, no, not even close, but we are. So it, 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 all of this, the, the whole thing, it's just, just bad. It's just bad. Going, going along. <laughs> and and I, think, I think one of the things that I'm hearing, too, is that, particularly with you, Talbot, and you, Ron, um, in, the, in your last statements, is that a lot of it has to do with contentment rather than um, a, a, a more of a, like, a give me more money, give me more money. It's more of a, you'll learn to be content in what you have and so that you can give and things like that. Is that correct? Yeah, and, and speaking of context, that brings up something. Philippians 4.13, one of the most famous verses in the Bible, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I have used it this way, and most preachers have used it this way. It's a verse all about ambition. I can do whatever I want in Jesus' name. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You take Philippians 4.13, it sounds great, doesn't it? You take that in its context, that's not what it is saying. Paul says just before it, I've learned the secret of living in plenty, and I've learned the secret of living in want, in the middle of nothing. 
And then when you, when you understand that it more accurately says, instead of I can do all things, it's almost a sense of I can endure all things through Christ who strengthens me. So it's a, it, it, and, and that's one of those places that we, we, and I'm all for optimism and positive thinking, ambition, all that stuff. It's just that it doesn't come from Philippians 4.13. Philippians 4.13 is a, it, it speaks very much to our level of contentment and our ability to endure whatever comes our way through Christ who strengthens us. And I think one of the reasons that you know, people who are greedy and, and hoarders and um, all about pursuing riches are some of the most unhappiest, and people who are generous uh, and who give are some of the happiest people in the world. I think it, one of the reasons is people who give, and not just with their money, but with their energy, with their time, with their presence, with the resources that God has given them, their spiritual gifts, uh, we just looked at this in Sunday school this morning. Um, it, it, it's kind of the difference between ex- expanding your world and your perspective and shrinking it. Because if a person's all about getting riches and getting a, a better car and a better house and wearing the best clothes, it, it's really uh, uh, shrinking their world and it becomes all about them and it becomes selfish. And I think that's why so many people who do that uh, have anxiety and depression, honestly, because it just closes in on them. And then you see people that have very little giving everything they can out of that very little, and they're the most joyful people, the the you know best people to be around. And it's because the world has has expanded, and their perspective is greater than just themselves. And I think that's what Jesus calls us to. So just in peeling back the onion another layer, I think. That's at the bottom of it, too. And, and that's, I think, a part of what Christ meant by the abundant life, that it's not about us, that it, it's about going out and blessing others. And, it, you know, in a way, it is self-serving because you get so much joy out of doing it. Right. So there's that thing, too, which we won't Rich, even that, speak that to. expanding and shrink, is, you got to take that to that new church you're going to and teach that. That's really that's good. That's Rob Bell. That's, I can't. <laughs> yeah. Well, still. These are, these are great comments, guys. I've, I'm, I'm hearing lots of really cool things where we're, we're looking at the, the entire pericope, a new word, as Rich was saying, of, of the actual verse where they are. Um, a lot of these seem to get cleared up that way, as well as kind of looking things throughout all of Scripture and kind of understanding the whole story that God's revealing and the ways that things work and realizing that, you know, there are some people like Paul who obviously had faith and was giving his entire life who learned to live in want. Those are really, really great points. Um, yeah, do, one, one, just ahead. one last thing I'll say about prosperity teaching. and Whenever you see somebody... Uh, just teaching bad. it, or, or whenever you hear somebody preaching it, just ask yourself this, would the example of faith that they're holding up, you know, like would, would the model of what it means to be a Christian who's walking in the spirit of faith, would that apply to Jesus? If yes, then they're probably preaching something right. If no, then walk away, because Jesus was not wealthy. Jesus died, and his only possession was a robe that soldiers gambled for. It's a very... Yeah, uh, nice robe. Yeah, that's all he had. Robe. Yeah. Yeah, it was a good mid-range. <laughs> it wasn't Armani. It was you know polyester. TJ Maxx. Polyester. John the Baptist yeah. made it for him before he's beheaded. <laughs> so so we've we've heard I, I've heard you guys say a little bit of it, but one of the major things that one of the major reasons we want to do this tonight is because you know we we can stand up and we can talk about studying scripture in context and we can say you know this is how we do it. The, and so on and so forth. 
But one of the things that I really would like would like us all to get out of tonight is that it really matters for for every believer, and that it's not just some random academic undertaking of, oh, let me get my commentary and in, in my thing, and, and I'll I'll be I'll be super holy by by reading the Bible, um, but that. You know, this stuff actually makes a difference in our, in our daily lives. So we've heard a couple things, but in our last like two minutes, could you guys just just kind of summarize, sort of, you know, why is it really important for the prosperity gospel that we understand scripture in context? Uh, I just began. Um, I think it's important to make sure that we're allowing the Word of God to shape our understanding of one of Him and ourselves and, and even and even people. Um, I think the the uh, the danger of uh, a prosperity gospels again I said it's very short-sighted because the focus is really on ourselves. So we focus so much on what we want and what we can get that we miss the bigger picture which is cultivating our relationship with God. And that belief always uh, precedes behavior. If you want to know what somebody really believes, you got to watch their behavior. So we live our doctrine, and that's the reality. That's, that's a great point. Belief precedes our behavior. I like that. Yeah. I, I would say there, there are very, very few theological positions that I would flat out call heretical and, and cancerous, and the prosperity gospel is at the top of the list. And just like cancer doesn't come from outside and attack you, it comes from within. It's your own cells, and they mutate, and they, they start off good, and then they just turn cancerous, and then they just suck all of your life away. That's what this type of teaching does. It, it damages the body of Christ, and it keeps people in bondage with the promise that they're going to be free from material or from poverty, and, and it, it doesn't deliver. It's, it's, it needs to be cut away. And the only way to do that is more and more Christians continue to seek and, and measure things by Scripture in context. And if you think about the best of the best of prosperity, gospel uh, preachers and TV evangelists, um, they're really charismatic, and they're very good speakers. And because they're very good speakers, it's almost like we can be duped by the power of persuasion and manipulated. And so many people that aren't in the Word and that don't read the word for themselves, just like Talbot has been asking the people of Good Shepherd to do in this series, um, it's easy to get duped and to start believing this stuff, especially if you watch it enough and you, you start believing it, you know, just by soaking it up um, if you, if you uh, keep at it on a consistent basis. And so I think it's so important to be in the word. And um, I mean, I've watched them. I've been like, really? I need to, let me look that. And it's just like, no, that's not at all what it says, dude. You know, and I think that's so important to do that. And one great thing about Good Shepherd is that there are so many uh, knowledgeable people here that you can turn to and ask and say, hey, I heard this. Is this right? What, what do you think? You know, what, what does Scripture teach? Um, so I, I, think, I think it's a form of manipulation, and a lot of people are being duped by that because they're such good presenters and speakers. And God has given them this ability and, and this gift, and it's just a shame that they're not using it, you know, for Thank correct you theology. Thank you very much. Um, one of the other, we'll, we'll go ahead and switch topics. One of the other um